Father, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I just pray and we lift up every uh, unspoken prayer request in the room. God, that you would just move, um, whether it's just hurt, sadness, sickness, um, just that kind of funk we can be in, Lord. We just pray that you would move and meet needs. And Father, I just, I need you to so much. Help me today not to be lost in my mind, <laughs> my thoughts or anxieties, um, but Lord, that I can just rest in who you are uh, and, uh, and just be confident in who you are, even if I'm not who I am. And I just pray you'd help me to preach your word, preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in the way, and I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. How are you guys doing today? Woo! Gosh, man, that was, <clears throat> that was good. It was scary. Hey, welcome <clears throat> to the Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it's your first week, first time, first time in a while, first time in two weeks, any scenario in which I need to catch you up. We are in the second week of three, kind of four, if you come to the... Uh, Christmas Eve service, which why wouldn't you? But uh, if not, second of third uh, series called, you can see up there, A Cradle, A Cross, and A Crown. And really, the whole thing <clears throat> is built around an idea that we all know, everyone in this room has heard this term, if you grew up in the church, you're really aware of it, and it's called the, the concept of Messiah, right? Messiah. If you know what that means, Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is sort of the Greek kind of word for Messiah and Savior, right? All these things. And you guys hear it and you immediately go, cool, Christmas, you know, mangers, stars, cross, all that stuff. But we kind of lose some of the meaning because guess what? I don't believe we probably have any Jewish people in the room who come into this with that background. And so <clears throat> specifically, we're kind of building this around a section in Isaiah in which the prophet Isaiah, you know, about 800 years before Christ, prophesied that the Messiah was coming, right? And if you, if you guys are not aware of this, I should have probably brought these statistics up, but it's unbelievable how accurate the prophets were down to the, just the nitty-gritty details of where the Messiah would be born, who he would be, what he would be like, circumstances around it. <clears throat> it's crazy stuff. Makes sense? You with me? Okay. <clears throat> because I bet if I call you up here, and I say, hey, how often do you use the term Messiah in your day-to-day -day life? You don't. You don't use it. Because, well, you know, we're not raised with that concept, really. That being said, <clears throat> last week we talked about one of the terms being wonderful counselor. And even how that counselor makes it seem like your middle school guidance counselor, right, that you go to and lay on his couch and talk about how bad your day is or whatnot. And that it meant more than that. It meant counsel. And wonderful is more of like awe. You with me? awe-inspiring. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about another of these titles that the prophet Isaiah gave and told, gave in relation to the Messiah who we know as Jesus. But before we do that, I got kind of two things here, Jill, you're going to like this, or you're going to be confused. Now, they're not going to seem connected, okay, Hannah? They're not going to seem connected, but they're going to be, maybe. <clears throat> if I had to... Um, who wants to be sort of my guinea pig? You're not going to come up here. Okay, I'll go with Bethany. This is, I'm taking a chance here. All right, so you get to just yell out for once. Bethany, if I, I want to give you a scenario, two different scenarios. Scenario one, 
I am a very wealthy man, okay? You already know this is make-believe, all right? Well, let's say that I am, Elon Musk, okay, that kind of wealth. We're talking rich guy. And I come up to you and I say, hello, I have a challenge for you because I'm rich and I like to toy with the little people. And what I want is I want to take you outside, and here is my friend, Speedy, okay? <laughs> Speedy is very fast. <clears throat> he won the 100-meter dash, right, in high school and track, he just graduated, so he's pretty fast, right? He's, if you beat him, okay, if you beat him, I will give you $10 billion, right? Would you do it? You would try. I can already tell. You don't, you're not going to feel confident in that. Okay, second scenario, same thing. I go, you know what, Bethany, you were honest with me. You said, I'm willing to try. I respect that being the Elon Musk of Indiana. And I say to you, this is how kind I am, small, little, non-wealthy person. How, because that's probably how they talk. <laughs> how would you, <clears throat> I, see, I see the tired people today, and I see the grumpy people. And I have to be careful, because you become the target of my, of my ability to get just a crack out of your face, right? So just fake it, because it saves us both the time. <clears throat> um, okay, so, Bethany, back to our scenario. I will let you choose someone to run in your stead. And here's what's cool. I'm rich. I've got connections. I've got jet planes, right? <laughs> I will let you pick anyone in the world to run this race. You don't even have to know them. I just know they'll do it for me. Who are you going to pick? Nice, I knew you were going to say that. Say it loud. Usain Bolt. You guys know who he is? Raise your hand. The rest of you are either very lazy, lying, or live in a rock, right? And I meant in, not under. Yes, you choose Usain Bolt. Why? Why'd you choose him? Yeah, and even though he hasn't ran a while, odds are, okay, just so everyone's understand, this guy rolled up to the Super Bowl last year, the year before, hasn't even competed, and tied the record for the 40-yard dash. Just rolled out of bed and... You know, the dude's made to run, okay? That's a great choice. I am unhappy because most likely you're going to win. Even though my person's fast, you chose someone faster, okay? I need another, another person here. Thank you, Bethany. Raise your hand. Okay, Trent, you got it up first. You love to talk publicly, so this will be good. <laughs> Same situation, Trent. Ready for the scenario here? I am done toying with Bethany. I'm upset. I'm ready to make my money back. I forgot to tell Bethany the what would happen if she doesn't win? She won. It makes me sad. So now I come to you, and I don't want your money. You don't have enough to intrigue me. So I'm going to, I'm going to like, you become my slave. That sounds good. Okay, and you got to rub my feet after a nice hard workout. If you lose this, I want you, okay? Do you know who, uh, I think it's Eddie Hall. You know who that is? Right? Yeah? It's not him, but it's glad you know who it is. Because then I'm going to pick, hi, this is my friend, Big guy, right? <laughs> Big guy here. I know. His mother just knew. He bench presses, okay, between four, 400 and 500 pounds, depends on the day. Okay, you see him warming up. He's just, he's taking 315 and just slamming it a few times. He's here, okay? You get to go against him. If you win, if you put up the most weight, I give you $10 billion. If not, you're my slave. Yes, you take it? You coward. Anyway, <laughs> just get. All right, you won't. Why not? Okay. <clears throat> wow, Bethany still tried. Um, now, 
Secondly, okay, fine. I, being kind, will offer you the same deal. You can pick anyone in the world. I'm rich. I have friends. They like me for my money. doesn't matter. They'll come. Who do you pick? I'll start. Yeah, who do we pick? Yes, Trent, we're on the clock. The mountain, yeah, half Thor Bjornsson. You know who that guy is? Yeah, he is very, very, you don't know? Raise your hand if you don't know. I wish I'd have had a video. It would have been great. You know, it would be a great time, but I didn't know who he'd pick. Yeah, this guy's about seven foot tall, okay? I'm not kidding. Massive, somehow, probably, who knows, between three and 400 pounds and has a six-pack as well, which should not be possible, humanly possible, right? He won the world's strongest man, probably guarantee he's going to come in here and bench more than my guy. That's a good choice. Now, let me ask one more thing. <clears throat> what if I said, same scenario, a little different. I will get the person here, I will whatever, but I'm not going to pull any strings for you. So it's got to be, you can pick someone that you believe would do it for you. That may give you that chance. Do you want to take the bet? You get what I'm saying? Anybody you know, somebody you think would do it for you. Because if you call Half Thor without old Todd Elon Musk here, he's not coming, right? You get what I'm saying? So, huh? Okay, well, now I've got people that are going to shoot you if you don't. All right? All right, you've, you've annoyed me because Bethany's already gotten me excited because she tries. So now you have to. All right? But before I say that, why wouldn't you take the bet? Okay. What if it was 300 pounds? Okay, and who would you pick? <laughs> Probably would have went with old Lukey back there, but uh, that's who I thought he was going to go with. I mean, I get it. There's a decent shot. Depends on the day, how the old shoulder's feeling. Uh, okay, but why would you pick me in this scenario? Okay, but why else? Because remember... You got one chance, and then if the person says no, I didn't specify, but I said it needs to be someone, you don't, ha you don't get another chance. Why would I do it for you? There you go. I love you. Yeah? Why'd you laugh? That's true. All right? <laughs> okay. Now stay with me. That makes sense. You know, the scenario's fun. If you can get the best person, right, in a scenario like that to be uh, your stand-in, you'll do that. You would take the person who's the most skilled, the most uh, capable of winning. However, if I added on to it the idea that the person has to be capable and willing, that narrows the pool down a little bit, right? And I know some of you are like, Todd, I remember you preaching something similar to this. I already know where you're going. Probably don't because I don't really know. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that changes it, Okay. Now, let me ask you, this is going to seem unrelated, probably, and you're going to go, where is he going? That's good, Jill. I don't want you getting ahead. Jill, I am going to take you into the jungles where they hate blonde girls, okay? <laughs> All right? And they, they, they just take them as slaves, or I don't know, whatever they're going to do, okay? And they do not like blonde girls. You can take, it's not permanent forever. We're going to be there two days. Because I don't want you to be like, necessarily like, I'm automatically, you might take Tim. But she would have been like, I'll take Tim because if I die, I'm with my love. You know that whole thing. I want to get past. You got, one, you got one person to take with you. can be anybody in the world, right? Do you have someone in mind if you could be anyone in the world? They have to, they, who, what kind of person would you look for? You can take one person with you. What? No. 
And I killed you. I killed you immediately. Because <laughs> your attitude. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so we, we, you, someone that knows what's going on. Okay, that's fair. Would anyone have a different qualification first? So she says kind of someone familiar with the region, familiar with the people. That's pretty smart. Okay. What about anyone else here? Someone what? Someone? <laughs> Jenny, I want you to understand. That is like the person who runs from the bear, right? I don't have to beat the bear. I just got to beat you. <laughs> Jenny, you might be the person that trips the person, right? <laughs> okay. This is one somewhere I didn't expect. The heart of man. Okay, let me, so you're in the, <laughs> would anybody choose, let me cut to the chase. Would anybody say, okay, that makes sense, but I'm also going to want someone, and don't just raise your hand, don't, don't placate me. I want to know the truth. Would you pick someone that you knew could handle themselves? Like, is that what you think? Will they at least be on your list, right? What does that mean to you, uh, Amber? You said, yeah, I would be one of those. What does that mean, handle yourself to you? Okay, what's the, qual- what's the qualification for that? Scrappy, okay? So, if I, so your primary thing is, don't matter how big or tough, they're just willing. They're just a little, and able, okay. Chihuahua's willing and able. What, what, what? Okay, but what's your definition of that? Big, strong, skilled, what is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and that's the sermon, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're in a situation, regardless of the situation, you want someone that is capable, right? You want someone that is capable. Now, if you're rich, if you had the choice of having, let me, let me back off. If you had the choice between someone that is capable but is hired, right, versus capable in whatever scenario and cares about you specifically, not a guess. I mean, whoever it is in your life, if it's your dog, if the only person in your life that you feel really loves you even right now, we'll get to that in a little bit, is your dog. If you, if, if someone, if you had the choice between someone that is capable and hired or capable and loves you, which one are you going to pick? Why? What's the difference? They're going to try harder. Okay. Yeah. Why? For me, it's also like money only goes so far, right? I'll do this and this for money, but at the end of the day, if the gun's to my head, you know, you don't know how much that loyalty, how far that loyalty will go. We'll come back to this. Has anyone here, now I kind of, this is the one and only time, and I don't mean this um, snottily, I really don't. A few weeks ago, I brought up a story about um, suicidal thoughts. We talked about that. And after that, I ended up getting some, some flack because I was told, like, hey, you need to give a warning about this because there's people that really struggle with it, and it causes people to kind of be, like, triggered using that. I'm being serious. I'm not mocking it. And they said, hey, you, you can't do that. And I got really upset. This person got really upset at me. So this is the only time I want to say that. <clears throat> Suicide is never God's plan. Let me say that right now, okay? That is never God's plan for several reasons. You can look at it from the side of God as Lord, and you're taking into your hands whether or not something, <clears throat> you know, is too big or whatever. But also, it's, it's a lack of hope, and God is called the God of hope, right? So when you do that, no matter, and we're not, t- you know, people want to get into salvation discussion, which is what maybe they took, whether or not someone can be saved and all these other things. It doesn't matter. The point is, that would be disobedient. It breaks the heart of God. It's wrong. God does not want that for you. Listen to me. 
God does not want that for you. And if you're walking around looking for someone to, um, I don't know, speak into it and give you a sign that that's what God wants you to do because someone makes a comment, that's not true. You understand what I'm saying? That's not true. So, that being said, I did mention this, but I didn't go into it. Several times, two times in my life, I would say that I was pretty suicidal, for lack of a better word, okay? Or I felt hopeless, right? Anyone ever felt hopeless? That's not even talking about suicidal. Yeah, hopeless. Now, hopeless is, a, is an interesting thing. And the only reason I brought up suicide, which is typically people that are suicidal, which is kind of the, the farthest on the spectrum of hopelessness, right? When you're that far, it's depression and hopelessness has kind of carried you pretty far. They've done a study, uh, before I get to my story, on the effects, the National Health Institute, and they did these, took uh, parents, like new parents that were having um, their first baby, it's a very stressful time in people's lives, various places in life, and what they did was they essentially kind of asked them what's, what made them feel depressed, and then they tried to find anything that correlated, and you know what they found correlated? That one of the biggest indicators of whether someone is depressed, like leads to depression at the end of the day, is a lack, a feeling of lack of control. Now, I don't mean like I'm in control as a king, but like when you feel like life, a situation, you are just being thrown around and you have no control at all. You're just thrown to the wind. Now, some of you made a confused look. I bet if you kind of ask yourself, let's say you even oh, I know I got depressed because I was in a really bad breakup. But what are you really sad about? Because no matter what you do, you can't make that person be with you. What is that? It's a lack of control, right? Or you lose your job, or your, your marriage is on the rocks, or whatever else it is, right? This, sometimes you don't even have a specific issue. You just know, I don't have any control over the way I feel, and I'm just in this situation. That's what happened to me. The first time... It was someone else's sin, right? And it's a, this really happened. Someone went and kind of, it's a, it's a long story. I was dating this first Christian girl that I dated, right? It was 20. She was very emotionally unstable. That's just reality, okay? And I was in a situation where everything's kind of, my life was falling apart in a lot of different ways. Put all my hope in her. She decides to leave and on the way out kind of burn everything to the ground. You know, sometimes ladies, you... You can't walk away from a guy without making sure everybody knows how bad he is so you feel better about it, right? You don't want him to have any friends because then they might think something's wrong with you. Guys do this too, but she did that. And then I'm not in college, and I've told this story. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I'm not in school. I'm not playing football. All these things that I found identity in, my family's sort of falling apart. Everything's gone. And I remember feeling like, man, even I can't even change people's minds, right, about because someone has went out and said things that aren't true. There's no hope. Everything's gone. There's no way back. I can't even get back in college. I can't get her back. I can't do anything. And at the time, if you would have asked me, I would have said, it's because my girlfriend broke up with me. But looking back, it's because my life, I had no control over anything. It's the feeling. And that led to this place of hopelessness. And it led to this place of like, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And when you feel like there's no light, right, or there's no way out of that tunnel, things get, pun intended here, really dark. It happened to me the second time in my life later on, and that was my own sin. I, may, I sinned. And because of my sin, guess what happens? Even though God still loves me, consequences happen. And sometimes people, by the way, in here, if you've made a mistake, sometimes you beat yourself up 
especially someone that really loves Jesus, you'll start to say, well, other people will use your sin to justify their own sin towards you. And then you'll start to believe you deserve that. You with me? If you, if you know, you know. Well, that can lead to hopelessness too because then you begin to doubt God. Because if God cared, he'd be in this, right? <clears throat> I lost hope, and I can honestly say that my life correlates with this study. Because at the end of the day, I was hopeless, scared, didn't see any value in life because I felt there was no one for me. There was no one with me. No one cared. And I would bet some of you in this room, and maybe you're not that far, but you feel that way. You kind of feel like people put up with you. They're not really for you. No one would stand beside me. I was alone, and the people I thought cared about me, you find out who really does. Because sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes you find out that, you know, you thought you had all these friends and these family that really cared, but when it's not just no longer beneficial, but when it might hinder them, When it might, hey, I don't want to be seen with him or her because that affects how people look at me. You start to feel really alone. Moving on. One of the titles in Isaiah 9-6 kind of correlates with both of these. And it was pretty eye-opening to me. And it's one of the titles that everyone's going to go, duh. I'm going to say it and you're going to go, there cannot be a message or a sermon over this. I already know what this means. Moving on. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can look at Isaiah 9-6. And this, you guys have heard, this is the Christmas story foretelling it, right? You got it? You don't? You don't have it. Okay, well, I must have gave him the uh, number dyslexia. I'll read it to you. Pretty sure I'm correct here. For a child, right? Is that, you guys, anyone with me? 9-6, say for a child. Sometimes numbers flip for me. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. We talked about Wonderful Counselor, and this week we're going to talk about Mighty God. Now, Jacob, I already know. You're like, I know he's mighty, Todd. He's a creator. Tell me something I don't know. Well, you know what's interesting about this word? This word, Mighty God, there's a lot of debate in sort of scholars, because the word itself, when you look this word up, mighty, right? God is El. We've talked about that. I won't get into it. Mighty God, El, and I'm not, I don't speak Hebrew, but it kind of like be like Jabor or something like that. If you're a Hebrew scholar, you probably know how to say it right, right? <clears throat> but I, this word is fascinating, and in this context, it's, it's, more of a, it's more like a title. It's more like they're saying, this person, this Messiah that's coming is going to be like this. You get what I'm saying? It's going to be, he's going, you might as well call him wonderful counselor. You might as well call him, he will be like a mighty God. And you're going, okay, well, what does that mean? Mighty in this context is really interesting because it also, when it pops up in the Old Testament, it's all over the place, but it has different, a slightly different meaning than what we translated. Mighty. I'm going to focus on mighty. Mighty. What does mighty mean to you? Strong. Yeah. And that's good. But it also means, ready, warrior. It means warrior. So you could say warrior God. Okay? It also means, and this is big, it means man of valor when it's used. Man of bravery. He will be called man of bravery. He'll be be called courageous man. And then this word, it's often used when God uh, is, in the context and throughout the Old Testament, is, is moments when God is actively fighting for his people. 
So the word would be act like when he is moving actively into combat, right? Combat for God, as he says it and it happens. But he is actively moving against his people's enemies, fighting on their behalf. Another word is champion. It means champion. That's really interesting to me. <clears throat> now, here's the issue. I already lost some of you. Some of you put your head back. Like, oh, me sleepy. Looking at you, Jack. Right? We may, you want to know why you're already bored? Because you're not in a situation where you think you need a champion. Earlier I said, okay, I told Jill, if I, hey, Jill, you're going to another country where it's very dangerous and uh, they don't like blonde people, right? And then we kind of worked through it and eventually she's like, yeah, I want someone that knows the way around. Amber says, I want someone that's capable of protecting me. That makes sense. If I just say, hey, you're going to the grocery store. Who do you want to take with you? You're probably going to say Tim or, okay, Mandy, or you're going to take one of your kids, right? My point is situation, right? Your situation, our situation as human beings determines the value of something, okay? A gun isn't really important to a lot of people until someone is trying to hurt you with a gun. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so some of you go, well, yeah, champion, cool. Tell me about something else. Tell me about him as money giver. Tell me about him as, as marriage giver, whatever. You're not, you, you zone out because you don't live in a situation and in a world where the idea of someone being mighty, of God being mighty, of God being your champion, really relates to you. See, the, the Israelites would have understood this. They're surrounded by enemies, powerful enemies that are stronger than them. They're a, they've become slaves numerous times. They look around and they say, there's no way out. And even when Christ came, part of the reason they killed him, when they didn't accept him, they rejected him, is because he didn't come mighty in the way they expected him to. Hey, I don't need this peace-loving hippie guy. So some people, right? When I have the Roman Empire over me. Wives in the room in America, you probably don't have on your list of things outwardly. Guarantee it. I want, I want a husband who's mighty. You don't. I want him to be what? At first thing, loving, tender. Hug me. That's true. Those are good qualities. They're not wrong. But somebody comes into your house and wants to take you and do with you what he will, mighty all of a sudden becomes a little more important. Or the lack thereof. In a society of peace, which is a blessing, is in a civilized modern society, mighty is sort of optional. It'd be nice, but not necessary. But in a war, mighty becomes not only preferable, but essential. What do I mean? None of you want, even no matter where you are in the political aisle, nobody wants their president to be weak. Now, that definition changes based on your viewpoint, but like the word itself, nobody says, you know who I want to vote for? The weak president. Now, they may lie to themselves, right? But that's not what they're going to consciously say. I want to vote for, who's the weakest president here? Who's the pushover? No one does that. No one wants a weak leader. None of you are going to get, you go and uh, you're interviewing to be the new CEO, the new manager, whatever, and, they, and you say, hey, what's a good quality? Well, I'm very weak. 
I'm soft. I'm not strong at all. I'm a coward. I will run away. Right? None of that is what we use. So I get it. When I think of mighty God, even in the past, when I say, oh, God, of course God's mighty. That's great. And how's that really? Like, what does that mean to me? That's the problem. See, if you look in your life, and this is why I struggle with us Christians, because we're just such, we're nerds. We don't, we want it easy. So like, you want me to tell you, talk about the traits of God that actively and by actively easily fit into your life. Like, you can kind of sit here and just absorb, like, sadness, I need a happy God. All right, he's talking about happy, I'm in. Instead of taking a moment to think about this in life, in the, in, in the concept of life, if you look at your life and your day-to-day needs, everyone in this room, me too, you might minimize your need for Jesus to be a mighty God. You do. And some of you, let me tell you this, that's why your faith in life is a constant cycle of back and forth. When things are good and we have it under control or you have it under control, we walk away from God, we walk away from church, we walk away from doing the right thing because you don't need him anymore. Nobody's going to say that out loud, but that's the truth. That's what's really behind your cycle of back and forth, back and forth. When I'm good, when things are under my control, when life is easy breezy, I don't need a mighty God. That's why kids struggle with it. Because parents, you don't talk to them about that. So they're just floating around life, you know, like, hey, who cares? They're not prepared. They haven't been in a situation where a mighty God and the need for one really hits them. And sometimes, parents, it's because you don't live your life as though a mighty God is a necessity. So you're in that cycle. Things are good. We have no control. We walk away from God. And then when life gets scary, when it's too big, when the relationship fails, when I lose my job, when I have no friends, when we've exhausted all of our resources, when my new chosen God of the day, my girlfriend, my wife, my husband, my job, my status, school, sports, whatever, when they fail me, when they no longer answer my prayers, well, then I'll run back to God and I'll have another moment. I'll have another big moment of return. No, you just came back and put a quarter in the slot machine. That's how you view God, really. I'm going to come up, I'm going to put in my quarter, I'm going to get my little cup of joy, and then I'm going to leave again. We run back to God and ask for his help and what? His strength. So to understand as we talk about this this idea of Messiah and why it's important, we have to remember something. You have to remember this. Because before I even go to your day-to-day life, do you want to know why you go back and forth, all of us? Because you're basing God being your champion and God being mighty and God being your advocate and your intercessor and all these things, you're basing it entirely on the level of need in your life. But here's the problem. You forget the truth of your situation. P.S., this is why some of you like Jesus, but he's not your Lord. Because you've never been in a position, you, you've made it through life. You took care of business, so he's nice, he sounds good, but he didn't come through for you. You made it happen. You have to understand this. The overall goal and need 
and your, the overall goal of the Messiah and God through Christ and your need for a Messiah is actually not anything about this life, first and foremost. That's why kids struggle, because you're young and you think you're never going to die, right? And we hope that's true and you don't, you don't think about that. But here's the problem. You cannot, we cannot overcome our sin without God. We cannot fix ourselves. We and you, listen, you are doomed without Jesus. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. And this is where I lose people. It's all good when it's mighty God. When I tell you you are not good enough, that anger you feel, not for me. That's your own rebellion. And that's why the, the, when Jesus says, listen, you have to die to self to live in me, you got to understand that you're not good enough. The world that's made you obsessed with self-esteem, i got to feel good about myself. That's why you're up and down all the time. You're not good enough. You know you've done bad things. You know you do bad things. You feel guilty even when you don't want to. You can't fix it. And even if this life went perfect for you, right? And that's why Jesus correlates it to money. A lot of times rich people in this world, they have all the needs they ever wanted. They have everything they've ever needed. It's easier, what, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they don't think they need anything. Because all of their need is based on now. You got your nice little job, your 401k, all that stuff. It sounds great. What happens when you're 85? Maybe the Lord gives you the opportunity to truly come to him at 85, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe your heart is so hardened by then that now what? No amount of money, no amount of status, no amount of employee of the year is going to stop death from coming. It's not popular in the church to talk about this, but that's the point. Hell, eternal life. The Messiah's goal is to bring you eternal life. Well, that's scary. It is scary. Hell is real. I don't believe in it. Who cares what you believe? I don't believe I'm poor, right? I'm not poor. I don't believe what I believe doesn't dictate reality. I'm as rich as Elon Musk. It's only make-believe. We have to accept that. And if you remember that, that we cannot fix ourselves, that we're doomed. Doomed is such a powerful word. Nothing you do will save you. Now that's scary. Here's something else. God's not your friend without Christ. Oh, I know that's not, that's not going to be popular. Listen to me. God's not your friend. He loves you. He loves you enough to say, stop rebelling, stop making yourself my enemy. But at the end of the day, if you've made yourself my enemy, I will treat you as my enemy. And whether it's this life or the next, you will find out what happens when you set yourself against a holy, all-powerful God. Your prayers that you throw up, why would he answer your prayers? You're his enemy. That's not, God will answer one prayer to an, of an unbeliever. And that's the call of repentance, right? That's the prayer of, I accept you, forgive me. Which then transforms that person, right? From an enemy to a son or daughter. You got to understand that Christianity and faith 
is an eternal issue, first and foremost. I don't mean to be morbid, but life is short. And when you understand that, right, when you understand that, it changes the way you see things. Now, some of you say, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be sad all the time. I'm not telling you to be sad. I'm just telling you, you need to be aware. It's an eternal issue. And listen, you need a champion, right? When we use, when we have, champion kind of has two words in the English language. One is it means someone who what? Has overcome, is victorious, right? Hey, they're the champion. They're the NBA champion. They're, they're number one. They've beat all of the opponents. But they're also someone who stands in the place of a protector. Two different meanings. The Messiah fits both. He has overcome everything. And he promises what? Because through his overcoming, through what he's accomplished, he will then offer you the benefits of his protection. He will stand in your place when you're not strong enough. You need, we need a savior to re- rescue us from ourselves and from the darkness. Now, I could stop there. And, that, and that, that's the truth. You need a champion. Now, clearly, there is an application because I think it's pretty hopeless to say being a Christian is just about life sucking until you die and then it gets good. Right? Though for some people, that's enough. And it should, right? That would be enough. Now, God doesn't just tell us that. There's an application in your life. This is the thing about Christianity, man, that I wrestle with. I'm just going to be completely transparent. Because I am the guy that says, okay, but bad things happen. <laughs> right? And I can focus on that and get scared. You, you ready to know what I think that I bet a lot of you think? Yes, God is out for my good, but what he views as good and what I view as good are never the same. Anybody ever think that? Be honest. Oh, you're raising your hands. Oh, we're raising hands. Okay, cool. I didn't want to make you say that. Yeah, that's scary. I feel the same way sometimes. My feelings tell me that, hey, okay, that sounds good, but things have hurt before, right? And you're, God let it happen, so clearly our definitions don't mesh up. We have a very short-term view. God has a very long-term view. Let's even use death. Like, that's the scary one, right? I mean, it is. Man, how could that happen? And it hit me in the in the last few years, I can't tell you the first time, when I had the realization that like, well, that's the worst thing that can happen to someone, not to a believer. That's the, honestly, this is going to sound crazy. It's the worst thing to us that are left behind. It's the best thing to that person. They're not crying anymore. They're not living in this insanity. They're living no longer in like what you would call blind faith. They're in, right, the presence of God. We tend to see things through our eyes. Yeah, that's if I'm watching someone that's really struggling in a, in a health issue, right, or their body's ridden with disease, it can be, oh, man, Lord, how can you let that happen? But I have such a short-term view. I remember reading this in a book, and it, it, it helped me. You know, there may be hunters here. Are there any hunters that use, have used traps? I'm talking about the big ones that, like, they, don't, they use those anymore? Okay, good. That makes me feel better. How do you release those? Yeah, probably nowadays you don't have to, but what I heard, right, say your dog gets trapped in it, 
right? That dog, when you're trying to get it out, what's he thinking? He's going to bite you, right? Why is he going to bite you? Because he thinks you're causing him more pain, and it probably does in the short term. But in order what? To get him out, you sometimes got to push it in more, right? To get that lever to release it. When I thought of that, right? I'm the fox. I'm the dog sometimes. I can't see what he's trying to do in my life. I got myself in a hurtful, painful situation, and he's going to get me out, even if I don't want out. Jesus being mighty and in control in an eternal sense should also give us encouragement in situations in our lives. This world feels crazy. I mean, it is, it is crazy. I don't know about you. I guess this is, this is I, don't, I remember thinking, all right, Lord, I'll try to just, you know, because I'll just be real. And maybe people will relate to this. Like Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I just... You know, I get up and I do things. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what life is. I mean, you go to work sometimes and it's hard to see good in like making widgets, right? Maybe you're a widget maker. I've done that. And that's good, honest labor. But sometimes you get the end of your day and I'm like, what, what did I do today? What is life, right? Or you just, you wake up and you go, is this it? All these things that happen. And then you see, you know, hey, virus and you see war and you see people are fighting and riots and you know, no matter how much you love your spouse, they're mean to you. And no matter how much you pursued this relationship, they left you. And no matter how hard you work, it feels like the money doesn't seem to match the, the level of work. That's overwhelming. And I would love to tell you that I just sit, you know, and I'm floating, singing Kumbaya when I'm not up here, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm a pretty, <laughs> that's why I can speak to a lot of you. Like, it's easy for you, Todd. You're a pastor. I'm like, are you kidding me? It makes it worse. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm telling the truth. I'm, I'm telling you the things that I have to do myself. The thing I never want to do as a pastor is speak to you and give you things that wouldn't encourage me. And then lie to you and say that's enough. I have questions. I don't understand. The problem of pain, right? It doesn't make sense. God can feel like he's not there, but he is. And I used to get mad at people that told me having a kid, like, you'll understand when you have a kid. And I was like, you arrogant little snot, right? You're just talking to me like I don't understand life. I went through plenty of life. And then you have a kid and you go, I didn't know a stinking thing, <laughs> right? And I don't mean that like that's the ultimate. What I'm saying is, for me, a guy who, like, if I'm honest, and I don't want to talk or whine, I've, I was, I've had a blessed life compared to a lot of people, but, like, the type of love that I feel, right, for my child, I don't, I've never felt that. I haven't. So to now feel it and to say, what well, God feels for me, right, and what I would willing to do for her, because part of my job as a dad is to do things that in the moment she doesn't understand, she doesn't like, sometimes even hurts her. Right? Even something as simple as a diaper rash. You ever thought of that from, from their perspective? Why are you rubbing this on me? This hurts. It's raw. Quit touching my butt. That is the painful spot, right? And everybody's going, I don't get it. Well, okay, next time you got a sore, I'll come and rub it with a cream and a cold towel. Right? We do it. Why? If all we cared about was their comfort in the moment, we wouldn't do it. But we're doing it because we love them enough. That short-term pain. 
It's worth her long-term good. Their long-term good. So I say all that to say, man, you can do what I might do if I'm out there. Stop being lazy Christians. You might zone out. You're waiting for the punchline. You're waiting for the, you know, the big part on social media. Like, you guys understand those, those, this is important, those sermon highlights. You understand that, that the, the dramatic music and the flashes and the cutscenes like, that doesn't happen live. Like, some of you all are chasing church services where, like, you know, well, where's the fireworks? And where's, like, the dramatic, you know, homeless person walking as he's talking so I can really, like, that doesn't happen. Okay? You got to be active in our faith. Faith is an action. It's not a feeling. And in a modern American church, kind of like what I said with Mighty and our desire to not want Mighty and how I lose some of you because I'm talking about Mighty and you don't need anyone Mighty. We become desensitized because we want to be entertained. We don't want truth. We want, we want to feel. But here's something about Jesus. <laughs> he would annoy some of you all. You'd be like, I'm following you, Messiah. And then he starts talking in these strange stories that you actually have to think. And then, by the way, the disciples did the same as you. It was like, why didn't you just speak to us straightforward? You know why I think he partially does that? Because the people that really want to understand, the people that really want to know him, will stick around and put effort into it. The question to you is, which one are you? Which one am I? So, Jesus being mighty and in control in an eternal sense. Listen, you have to know that part. That's the important part. And I, I told you the whole story about I don't get it sometimes because, like, the connection of what I'm about to say, I get it. I don't always feel this. But I have to intellectually grasp this. Him being mighty and saving me eternally, right, does trickle down into my life here. He didn't leave me here. He didn't say, saved, you're on your own, I go away. In fact, he said the opposite. I am not leaving you as orphans. Why did he say that? Because he knew we're going to have moments where we're like, where are you? The Apostle Paul has this really interesting section that I sort of glossed through as well. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you go read the book of Acts, that dude had a rough life. I mean, I just think of like little things, right? I'm kind of known, if you know me well, as like that's something that only happens to Todd. And I've told this story before. Okay, so for instance, things like I pull out my debit card at Taco Bell, I go to hand it over, and it falls and slides in the tiniest little slit, right? Blake's been there before. My card levitated, turned sideways, I'm telling you, that's what it looked, and then dropped in the one place I couldn't get it, right? Am I wrong? I had, what was it the one time? My phone one time from across the room slid down my leg, jumped off, and walked, Blake's showing this, across the room and hit itself under a chair. You're all going to be like, this is stupid, until you're in the moment, you're going, how is that possible, right? Paul had that to like the 10th degree. He's already, he's shipwrecked, he's having a bad time, oh great, a scorpion just stung me. You know what I mean? Like, Great, a snake bit me. I'm going to put some logs in the fire, and now a snake is attached to my arm. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. He had a rough life. People trying to kill him. Old friends hated him. New friends hated him. Nobody trusted him. All he had was the promise of God. And people told him over and over, it's not true. God's not really with you. You're not really an apostle. He didn't really speak to you. You're not as good as Peter. You're not as good as the real ones. And listen to him. He gets put in jail. 
1 Timothy 16 through 18. This is at the end. So a lot of times, uh, well, I didn't put the chapter. You get, did, you, did I give it to you? Good. Six. Thank you. Uh, no, I didn't. Ignore that. Guys, I'm all over the place. Stick with me, though. It's somewhere in 1 Timothy. I'll pull it up from my actual notes. But listen to it, and then I'll give you the, the verse. At first, my defense, at, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now listen to this last one. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. If you're like me, I would imagine sometimes you read that and you're like, that's a nice pep talk. Not realistic. But for him who's in a situation that's very much real, jail, right, prison, sending letters, this, be, this, this can't just be hmm, nice advice. He lived in the reality of what? This simple thing. I believe, right, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That brought him courage. Why? Because nobody else stood by him. Nobody stood up for him. Nobody was with him. And at the end of the day, he's in the worst of situations. And he's, the thing that gets him by that he reminds other people is that God has promised me to save me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Heavenly kingdom. He's coming. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, how did he live in that? How did he live in that? Well, he wrote the book of Romans too. In the book of Romans, he tells us, I believe, part of why he can say that. Because he didn't think this is just a sermon. He didn't think these are just uh, philosophy. This is some great feel-good saying. In Romans 8.28, we're told this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Who are called according to his purpose. I already lost some of you. I've heard this before. Your situation's hard. If I come and tell you, here's the promise. It's true or not. This is why faith is a choice. God said, I will work out all things for the good of those who love me, who are mine, who are called according to my purpose. Does that mean you're going to understand it all the time in the moment? No. But it's a promise that you can rely on. And you're used to living in promises. You want to know a promise that you live in all the time? How many of you go to work? Right? Let me tell you something that you're, you're relying on. You're relying on someone's promise that if you do these things, they will give you money. Let, let that sit. And, nobody tell You don't know that. If they don't pay you, what are you going to do? <laughs> this is not helpful. What does that do? Right? You're gonna, what are you going to do? See, some of you don't even know. Let me tell you what some of you would do. Some of you don't get paid by your, your company. You quit, and you don't even go find an attorney or anything. You just accept the fact they're not, that I didn't get my money. They didn't keep their promise. You know what it is to live in a promise, yet you expect more from God. They, and listen to how crazy this is. If you work these 40 hours, I think this one's even funnier. Two weeks from now, I will pay you for those two weeks. I promise. 
We're used to it. But for some reason, we try to apply a different standard to faith as though that takes something special or we shouldn't have to do that. Why do you do a good job? Why do you do a great job at work? You get paid the same. You ever worked with a bum? I have. I look over at the end of the day, especially if there's no reason. It's like, that person got paid the same as me. I know for a fact I did four times the work. But most of you know what you do. You'll complain. You say you're not going to work hard anymore. You know what you do the next day? You work hard. Right? Under the what? The promise that it will, it will lead somewhere. Let's go on. So he says, called according to his purpose. Then jump down to verse 31 in Romans chapter 8. Okay? He says this. What then are we to say about these things? What are these things? He says, the world's hard. People are killing us, the Christians, right? They're killing you. They're persecuting you. They don't give you jobs. They're not, you're not getting the same benefits as the other religions. You're not being taken care of, right? The pressure's on. Some of you are starving. They're literally physically starving. Not just I didn't have enough money for my Starbucks this week, but I literally don't have enough food. And then what does he say? What then are we to say about these things? What do we say in these hard moments? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, right, that's him standing in front of you. But even more, he has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He overcame death and now stands in your place before the Holy Father, right, to say they are mine. That when God looks at you because of your champion, he sees Christ's perfect life, not your mistakes, forever. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is Jesus, is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us? Listen, this is so important. And for you to understand, mighty God, your champion, you need to think of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. I know a lot of you are smart. Don't blow over this or just take it as surface. Right, Jericho? What can, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Why is that important? What did I say earlier? There's a difference between capable and willing. Who can separate us? Paul automatically said, if the king loves me, then the king's going to come through for me. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Let me put it a different way. What's going to make him stop loving you? Right? Is it affliction? Can affliction or distress, can worry or bad times or persecution, that means people hating you. Hate can look different. It's not always like, I hate you for being Christian. Sometimes it's the cold shoulder. Sometimes it's you're not one of us. Sometimes it's you're different than us. Sometimes it's not being accepted at work or among family. Or famine, famine. Or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, man, and this is like adding on to it. What does Paul say? As it is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're, we're just counted as sheep to be slaughtered. He's, he's painting the picture of like, what do we do in this terrible situation? Verse 37, no, no, we're not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How can you be more than conquerors? Right? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, let me put this a different way, rulers, you know the word, make it demons. 
not angels, not demons, those are both real, nor things present right now, nor the things that are to come, nor powers, that means the powerful, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's something cool. Not even you can separate you from the love of Christ in Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't lose salvation because of an action you made. Now, some of you don't like that because what does that mean? No, that's a fact. He bought you. You didn't earn it. And some of us live in that, and that's why we walk away from church and walk away from faith, and some of you are right there. You say, I, I, I believe. You know you're not a Christian, but you're like, I like Jesus. I like what he's about, but I can't. I know what those Christians do. And I know what they're going to call me, and I know what they're going to say about me, and I know how they're going to look at every mistake I ever make from this point on. I can't keep up to that standard. You're not supposed to. You need what? You need a champion who can meet that standard. You need a champion who is good enough and holy enough and strong enough. It's our tagline, chosen by grace. God's grace in the midst of your sin picked you up and pulled you out. Does that mean when you get your hand in the mud again, he's just going to throw you back down? No. And I say this because that's, a, that's something people don't think either. They think, oh, yeah, he saves me one time. No. Over and over and over again. That's why I'll say it right now. Why not? Then some of you, but this is our official stance. You can't lose your salvation. A true believer in Jesus Christ cannot lose their salvation. No, I, they can't lose it, but they can walk away. No, they can't. No, they can't. You know why I know? Jesus said, I will not let go of one of these you've given to me. You can wander off the path. You can be one of the sheep of the 99 that falls in a hole. Now, some of you go, great, I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. You don't want to take that chance to find out which one you are. I don't know your heart. You may never have been saved. But those who you know, if you put your faith in Christ, you can't out God's grace. Now, that's not popular in this region either. You probably weren't taught that, right? You come from a different denominational background, right? You start saying, well, what's going to stop people from running around and sleeping with each other and shooting people? I, I, I don't know, this crazy thing called the Holy Spirit. I, I just don't think me telling you what's wrong and right is going to really make you a good person. He's going to have to do it. And the beautiful thing is, is that he treats you as good while he makes you good. Isn't that wild? So that sounds good, right, Paul? Paul lived in that. And he lived in it in a very tangible way, not fake like when things are good, I'll praise God, you know? That's why that song, Praise You in the Storm. Can you praise him in the storm? You can if you believe that the storm's not going to last, that, he, that the storm has a purpose. Paul lived in that. And the reason I say that before I even tell you Jesus' promises, that's such a tangible thing. Guys, he's a real person that lived a real life. He got sad. He got lonely. He questioned himself. You know how I know? Because he spent some of his letters saying, no, I really do know God. I really am an apostle. I'm not lying. What did that mean? People accused him of that. You doubt? Your doubt doesn't even separate you from God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the important addition. 
He lived in it. And that, if, I don't want to follow this. I say it all the time. If it's not real and if it's real, I got to look at the, the saints, right? Which you guys are saints too, but the fathers of the faith and say, how did they go through all this? Why were they willing to die for this? Because they believed in their mighty God. They believed in their champion. They believed in his ability to overcome whatever was in their life. And at the end of the day, to even overcome death, death isn't the end in Christ. I know that's hard to see in our modern world. I know it is. I struggle with it. So how did he do that? Well, guess what? He took Jesus at his word, not emotionally. He grabbed it. Paul describes that too. He says, we let go of everything that hinders us and we hold on to that. I cling to my faith. Sometimes in my life, I don't know about you, I felt like if faith, if my belief in God is, is, is a cliff, I'm hanging on by a pinky and I'm kind of swaying, right? That's okay. That's an illusion because he's never gonna let go of me. Listen to this, John 16, 33. Here's some truth for you. This is, this is Jesus. <clears throat> I'll read it. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Right? What are these things? He says things are going to get worse. Listen to this. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Can you imagine being there? You, don't worry. You're not any different than they were. You think they like the word suffering? God loves you enough to tell you the truth. You're going to have suffering in this, in this world. Sin is here. Things aren't how they are. God hasn't forgotten you. God's not, not in control. He's being patient, right? So all right, can come to know him, have a chance to respond. What a cool God that he tells you the truth. Most religions won't. They'll say, hey, if you do all these things right, life will be easier and better. And we'll, you know, if you give me money and do all these things, you're going to overcome and ascend, right? All these things. But what does he say? This isn't good business for religion. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Why be courageous? I have conquered the world. And then Matthew 28, 20, right? At the very end, the Great Commission, he says, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I have conquered, and I'm with you. A conqueror is with you. Well, what's that? That's a champion. That's a mighty God. <clears throat> Before I go on and I give you some, hopefully, encouragement and reminder, I want to say this. Some of you in this room, you're living your life half in and half out. Let me give you an example. I'm not talking to anyone specific because I don't know your lives. You're a Christian, but you reject the parts of the Bible you don't like. You're a Christian, but I don't believe that. You're a Christian, but this doesn't feel comfortable, so it can't be true. You're a Christian, but I don't need a champion in this place, right, because I'm not going to live that way or follow that. It doesn't feel true. In that moment, let me tell you what you've done. You've rejected the champion. There's no half in or half out. It doesn't mean you're going to emotionally agree with everything. You don't even have to like everything. Who is God and who is not? 
I got a list for you. It's not a very long one, but I know you like them, so some of you. And it's pretty simple. Jesus, your mighty God, okay? And there's a lot more to mighty God. Your warrior, the one who fights for you, your champion. Jesus is your champion. What does that mean? The Messiah is your champion. That baby was born to be your champion. What's, what's, what can we take from that? Number one, listen, I start here. He's overcome your sin forevermore. Forever. You don't need to live in shame. I'm not, you know, a lot of times, if you're like me, I can be like, cool, he's, I don't live in the shame of my past. That's a lie, I do. But the reason it kind of ties is like, well, I gotta, I gotta still feel shame for that because I haven't really changed in the present. I still do these things, right? Maybe I don't do them as often, but I still do them. Makes sense? So like I yell at someone that I care about. I'm really hateful. And then, okay, God forgives me. And then, you know, I go six months and then I do it again. And all of a sudden I go, man, look at me. Look what I am. That was never real. Then shame comes in. What shame would it make you do? Well, we find that we know what shame does. We see it at the very beginning in Genesis when they sin. Shame makes us hide from God. Not that we can, but we try. We run away from him. Why do we do that? Because fear. You don't need to live in shame. You have to believe that. Are you willing to believe it when other people tell you otherwise? Number two, he's been given all authority. You're not really in control. You're not really tough. If you were, you'd never be anxious, right? You need someone, and we know that. Things may seem out of control, but they're not. That virus is scary. What's going to happen with the next one? What if? What if? Fear makes us say what if. Faith makes us say what? Okay. Because we know the end of the story. Things may seem out of control, they're not. That also means in your life. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you guys aren't going through real things, that life doesn't really feel hard and out of control. But it's not. Number three, you're never alone. That's a big one. You know why you're so desperate for a body? I'm serious. We all, I mean, we're wired for relationship, okay? I'm not saying it's wrong if you single people to want a spouse or whatever. But what if you don't get one? Did God fail you? Is he enough? You say yes, but does your life reflect that? Does that mean you're not going to feel lonely? Going back to what? If you came here to just have a faith that just is all about how you feel naturally, it's in the wrong place because I'm not going to lie to you. You're never alone. You're not alone in that health issue. You're not alone in those marriage problems. You're not alone in the financial situation. You're not alone in this scary world where viruses and wars and nuclear threat. You're not alone. You're not alone in the secrets that you don't tell anyone else. He's right there. And if you're in Christ, I'm not saying that like he's ready to punch you in the face. He's not. He's ready to what? To heal you, to save you, to be your champion. She's going to play some music. And again, guys, this is, these aren't deep messages, but it's important. Important enough that when it came to the Messiah, God, through the prophets, said, you need to remember these names because these are who he is. 
These are what he is. These are the titles of your king. How good is God? He could have just said, he will be king. He didn't. Does life seem like, and this is that moment right now, getting done kind of early for me, that's good. You got two things you can do, right? You can kind of zone out. I've done that, ready to get out of here. This didn't really speak to me today. Hey, man, I don't, maybe it wasn't for you. Or you can listen to this and, and just ask yourself these questions. You're already here. You might as well at least be honest with yourself. Do you feel like life is threatening to overwhelm you? You know what I mean. I don't even need to define that. Does it feel like it's overwhelming? You ever had that feeling like it almost feels like you're drowning? And some of you from the outside, I would never know. You've got it all together. You're doing fine. But deep down, you're hurt. You're lonely. You don't understand why people are so mean. You don't understand why people don't care. And you've stopped even sharing that because what's the point? They're not, they don't care. Does it feel like life's starting to overwhelm you? Be honest. Are there circumstances in your life right now out of your control? And that's all you can think about. Like you feel trapped. There's nothing I can do. Are you overwhelmed? Maybe this is different with the shame of your past or even your present. I get that way a lot. I'm going to those what words come in your head? I've talked to people all the time. What are the words? Monster, liar, these terms that you get called. And who puts that in your head? You ever thought about that? Hey, don't forget what you did. Don't forget that mistake you made. Are you sure he's your champion? Are you sure he's with you? God wouldn't do that. Are you overwhelmed with the shame of your past or even your present? Are you bitter? God's so used to being in the dark that what's the point of waiting for the light? I'll just become what's in the dark. Right? I can fit in that way. In Christ, you have a mighty warrior. You have a champion who will never stop standing up for you, who will never stop interceding for you. Can you believe that? Now, notice what I said. I didn't say, do you believe it? Because I'm already going to assume you don't. Not really. But here's my question. I'm going to say it again. This is, this, this is you and God. I don't get a cookie for this. Can you believe that? Can action word. Can you and will you choose to believe that? And here's the question. If you sit and think for a second, okay, if I choose to believe, what would change in your life? What would be different? Honestly, would you be as anxious? Would you be as scared? Would you even feel as lonely? You're going to feel lonely again, but would you feel as lonely? Would you feel as hopeless? Would you feel as shameful? Would you feel as angry? Would you feel as broken? Would you feel as hopeless? What would it mean if this is true? Here's the cool thing. It is true. It is true. So, so that I tricked you. That thing you said to yourself of like, well, this is what life would look like if I did choose to believe that to be true. Well, it is true. So you can have that. You can have that. It's not always instantaneous, right? It's not always immediate. But you don't get paid except every two weeks. So you're already used to delayed gratification, right? Right? 
I would never tell you guys, and maybe this makes me not great. I'm serious. I, I'm just, it has to be true. And the crazy thing in the moments I hold on, there's times when it doesn't feel true in the moment. But when I look back, that's the wild thing about God. I see it. I see it every time. Times that I was like, he's not here. This is the worst that it could possibly be. No good is going to come of this. And then he said, watch me. You get in a time at altar, and I've been told, you know, some people, I don't always explain it, which is weird because I didn't remember what it meant. You know, this is the altar. It's already the altar. What's the altar? It's the place you go to offer to God, to give something up, right? And at this time of prayer, there's people willing to pray with, pray with you. Why do we do that? Well, there's power in the prayer of a righteous person, right? There's something when we pray together. The Bible even says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. It says that. There's something that comes when we pray with someone else and have them pray over us, right? I think God responds to the humility of it. I think God responds to the desire because it takes a lot to say it in someone else, right? You don't have to. So what you'll see if you're at this church is you'll see people praying with people in the corner, right? And that may seem weird, and you'll see people on their knees here praying to God. This is a time. This altar time is a time. It's one simple thing. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what God is putting on your heart right now, for you to ask him to move in your life, for you to repent of things you've done, for you to leave your shame, your guilt, your fear at the altar and walk away. And if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, you know of him and you don't know him, I gotta tell you, I've told you the gospel pretty much. This is a bad situation we're in. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. The standard is perfection. I'm a pretty good person. Pretty good's not good enough. And you know it. And because of that, we've been separated from our creator. We've been separated from God. And what comes from separation from our creator? It's kind of like, have you ever seen the studies when you take a baby away from the parent, put them in a closet or something, right? They don't grow up healthy. They have all these issues. That's what happens to us too. Separated from our creator, we become anxious and worrisome. We become more and more evil. We do horrible things. We, we hurt and we, we're all, we, we feel out of control. And the truth is we're dying like a branch snapped off a tree. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone. Everyone is in the same boat. And the Bible tells us something scary too. It says the wages of sin is death. That means the consequences of your sin, that one bad thing, if that's all it was, is enough. And I said this before, and some of you new, newish people maybe need to hear this. Like You're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Okay, one day, I've been a pretty good guy. Let me come into your house, steal all your money, shoot your grandma, kick your dog, burn your house down, and I'll go to the judge and I'll say, God, I've been really good for 364 days of the year. And he goes, okay, you can go home. That's not justice. We can't have a different standard. One would be enough. We're separated from God. It's hopeless. Well, the second part of that verse, the wages of sin and death, is the good news. But the free gift of life, right, is given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean? Jesus of Nazareth existed. He lived a perfect life. He told us what God was like. He is God. When we couldn't get to God anymore, when our sins separated, he came to us. God made flesh. He told us how to live. He performed miracles to prove who he was. He died on a cross, and that cross, that horrible, painful, physical death was also a type of spiritual death. He carried the weight of your sin. He took it. He took it. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Over 500 people attest to this. 
500 witnesses. You don't even need that much in a court of law. 500 witnesses. He's real. It's true. So what do I do, Todd? That's the problem. Here's the cure. The Bible says something really simple. Do I, I got to get my life cleaned up first. I got to overcome this addiction. I got I to gotta fix this relationship. I got I to gotta make up for what I've done wrong. No, because you couldn't do it. What the Bible says very clearly is, will you trust the champion to do it for you? Remember I said, hey, you get to pick someone. Here's your opportunity to pick Jesus, the only one capable and willing to stand in your place and conquer for you. The Bible in Romans chapter 10 simplifies the gospel, and I get it. People have lied to you. People have lied to you. It can't be dependent on all of your good actions because you don't have any right now, right? Really? And even when I'm saved, like, compared to him, it's not good enough. What does the Bible say? The Bible says if you confess with your lips, I mean say it, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty complicated. Not really. It means are you willing to say, Lord, Jesus, I believe you. I don't have to understand. I accept what you did. Forgive me for what I've done. I want new life. I want to follow you. Turn away. I want to turn away from the way I've lived my life. He knows you're not going to do it perfect, but are you willing? If you do that, the Bible says what? You will be saved in that instance. So whether you're a person that's been living in hopelessness, that's someone that feels like I need a champion, someone who's been in that cycle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, here's your opportunity to repent and say, no, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put all my faith in you, not just in the good times, but in the bad, right? And not just in the bad times, but the good. And if you're in the room, I was you. I was old enough to know this. You're going to feel scared if you don't know Jesus. You're not going to want to come and do it. You're going to want to tell yourself all these lies. I'll do it later. I'll do it at my seat. Don't wait. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. God loves you so much that he's willing to be your champion now and forevermore. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.